Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you are in the world. Uh, today, I want to talk about just some um, kind of basic general suggestions that I can give you for care. And when we get what we observe or think are like catastrophic situations, it can be super hard when somebody is having hallucinations, when they are yelling at you, when they are angry, we kind of lose our togetherness, our emotional wellness suffers to a huge degree. And I've talked until I'm blue in the face about you being informed and knowing more about the different dementias and how they, you know, are kind of present and what you will, what kind of things you will see when somebody is uh, angry or you can't redirect them and why it is so important for us to devise a strategy so that we can work with them as best we can without getting upset. And so one of the things that I think really helps is when you can talk to the person with the dementing illness. I get constant phone calls literally day in and day out about my person is in denial, uh, can't even bring it up, you know, we're not... It's such a touchy subject that you can't even talk about whether or not they have this disease. And yesterday, someone said to me, well, if I tell my person that they have the disease, their thought process on it is that if you say it out loud, it makes it real. Okay. Um, I'm trying to understand that. Because whether you say it out loud or not, it's still going to be real. I mean, it's not a matter of whether you talk about it or don't talk about it. That's a little confounding. I kind of get it. But what people fail to understand is that when you can let that person say what they're feeling, their angst, their anxiety, ask them why it's so upsetting for them to be able to say out loud what the disease is. Hey, we know why. They've seen a, a family member or they know somebody or they're afraid you're going to put them in a nursing home or they're afraid that, that you're not going to love them anymore, whatever it is. We know that. But they may have trouble saying it. And if you can 
turn the turn the tide, turn the subject to being more about them taking part in managing their own care. You know, about uh, sharing any grief you might have over the change of your relationships and things like that. Those things can be helpful. You might be able to come up with some plans on how to help them, you know, stave off memory problems. Um, There are aids that you can use to help somebody remain independent. Um, We can use certain foods. We can go on hikes. We can exercise. We can play brain games. I've talked about this over and over, but for many of you who are new to the show, maybe it's the first time you're hearing me say it. But there's things you can do, like even talking to a counselor, having a counselor that deals with various dementias, you know, kind of walking you through what it's going to be like and and that it may take a long time for you to progress and and help you accept your diagnosis and talk about how you're going to adjust to any limitations you're going to have in the future. And if and if they can't accept it, if they don't recognize that there's a problem, they're never going to be able to have a point of view on anything. They're never going to be able to have an opinion on anything. They're just going to be mad all the time. That's no way to live, you guys. So, granted, it's frustrating. People get super frustrated. And every time I even broach the subject with my husband, he gets upset. It's, It's just really horrible. And the day-to-day problems get so frustrating, they seem insurmountable, and it's exasperated by having to talk to everybody else about the person's problem except for them. Maybe that's a way to bring it up to them. Would you rather that you talk to me and we have an open conversation and we work on a plan together of how to help you be as healthy and happy as you can possibly be? Or would you prefer that I talk to everybody else around you about the symptoms and the way you're your memory loss is presenting. Will it turn into a big fight and an argument? Maybe, but take the chance. Because if you if you term it to them that way, maybe they will come around to your way of thinking. Because if you don't, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to get to the end of your rope. And you're going to start singling out every single thing that that person is doing that's going wrong. I always prefer to look at what the person can still do, not what they've lost. But you can't even do that if they won't talk to you about the problems. And then everything during the day becomes an ordeal. Everything becomes a mountain to climb. The frustration level is ridiculous. It's so high. Small things become big things. But changing small things can make a big difference. And it has to start with 
getting a good counselor, getting a good neurologist that can talk you through all of this and make you feel better about the situation. When you're arguing, when you're struggling, when you're tiptoeing around everything, when you're walking on eggshells, oh, my friends, that is just no way to live. That is no way to live. I would rather have an open conversation with somebody that doesn't want to hear the diagnosis and have it end in a fight than keeping it under covers and talking around them. And I think that's the way you say it sometimes. Sometimes you just have to say, would you rather I talk to you about it so we can work on this together and help you be successful or to talk about everybody else around you so that you become more suspicious as you progress and so on and so forth. Now, is that really the best way to do it? Maybe not. But for those of you who are frustrated and you don't have any other way to do it, at least it's something. Right? Another thing that you could do is share your vulnerability. I can talk right, really, I can. uh, With your person to say, hey, I am feeling really unsure about myself. I am very worried about my future. Do you feel the same way? See if you can draw them out that way. Use a little psychology, reverse psychology. Um, You know, I'm really scared about my own health. Are you worried about your health? I'm worried about my mortality. I'm wondering how much longer I'll live if my, you know, whatever... Um, situation I have, heart problem, you know, hip problems, whatever it is, uh, I'm very worried about not being able to walk in the future or being in a wheelchair or anything like that. Are you worried about anything? Is your memory an issue for you? What can I do to help you? If you just empathize with me and tell me the things that are going on with you, that would make me feel so much better because I just don't want to be in this boat all along. We're, We're married. We've been married for 40 years or 50 years or whatever it is, let's talk about these things. If you don't do it, everything becomes catastrophic. Everything gets out of control. And you know what happens when things aren't going well and everybody's emotionally rot and we're talking around people and we're talking behind people's backs and we're doing all these different things? What happens is we don't sleep. We get very suspicious. The caregiver isn't sleeping, so they're not tolerating anything. They're irritable with every single behavioral symptom that pops up. The person with the diagnosis, if they're tired, I can't even begin to tell you how many problems you're going to have. Yeah, if they're not getting enough rest, it's not good for anybody And if you do get good rest, that helps you to really think about the way that you can focus on maybe one thing at a time, not everything being a mountain, just little molehills that you're trying to get through. And, you know, when we get frustrated and everything seems like a mountain— You can't do everything one way. 
And sometimes something you try today won't work tomorrow. Something that you that didn't work today may work tomorrow. So when we're fully rested and we can think clearly, we can come up with strategies. We can come up with with ways to be successful. And it starts with asking yourself, does all this have to be done at once? Do I have to do everything right now? Do I have to always be right? Does everything always have to be perfect? If you can let go of things like that, you're going to be much better off. I guarantee it. I'll give you an example about that. If somebody can't use a knife and fork and they just pick up the spaghetti with their fingers and we're losing our mind because that's not how we do things and you're trying to make them use a fork and spoon and they don't know how anymore, why? Give them finger foods and adjust them. These are kinds of techniques that we can do to keep us from losing our minds and being you know, non-flexible. Another example of that that I can think of is I had someone tell me at a class I was giving last night that their person sleeps with their clothes on. And that drives them crazy. And they may get up the next day and be wearing the same clothes. I understand this is difficult. I understand this isn't the way that we want things to go. But maybe you could go up to their room and say, hey, it's a, it's a really hot day outside because it's summer. Why don't we pick out some shorts for you to wear? Because those pants you're wearing um, look like they'd be really hot on a 95-degree day, whatever it is. Maybe they don't even know it's a 95-degree day. See if you can get them to change their clothes. The problem is not always memory. Sometimes it's cognitive. Almost always it's cognitive, right? And it doesn't seem logical for a person to go to bed with their clothes on. It doesn't. I get that. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. But is it harmful? Are they going to be hurt in any way? Is it not safe? Probably not. It's fine. It's okay if they wear the same clothes to bed. Same as it is okay for people who wear their pajamas all day long for three or four days until somebody shows up and tells them they need to get dressed. And if worse comes to worse, have a good laugh about it. You know, say, um, boy, it seems like you like that pair of pants. Um, are you going to marry it? Or, you know, just some silly joke. Just make fun. Have fun. Make some laughter. Use your sense of humor. It matters because families that can make their person laugh or smile or um, they are feeding off of really good positive energy have a tendency to do so much better than families that don't. It is always within our power to walk into a room and set the emotional tone with that person. And we can't escape it. 
they'll mirror your emotions back to you. So if you walk into the room with a long face and looking like Eeyore, you're going to get back what you give out. It's just the nature of the beast. The only person in this situation that can change it is you. They can't. They're feeding off of your energy. And if you don't believe me, just walk into a room and try to talk to somebody that ignores you and see how that makes you feel. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple. You know? I mean, these are things that we really have to think about. We really have to concentrate on and try to find whatever best communication we can grab, whatever um, peaceful moment we can find, whatever joy we can come up with. I mean, just try. Other things that help with that mountain of stuff that you think you're dealing with is um, really trying to establish a routine. I'm all about routines. So getting dressed at this, in the morning at a certain time each day, maybe that gets them to change those clothes they slept in all night. Have them eat at the same time. Have them exercise at the same time. Go for walks at the same time. You know, do activities. And do it the same way at the same time every day if you can. Because if you can have regular routines, they might eventually learn what to expect. And if something's not working, change it. You can plug in different activities each day, but do it at the same time. Right? Makes things so much easier. And again, you have to talk to the person with the disease. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them why you're doing it. Give them a chance to be a part of deciding how they want to be, you know, an a integral part of the, the situation. Don't talk to about them when they're sitting in a room to other people either. That's no good. I mean, it really isn't. Try never to have a conversation about somebody while they're sitting there. And remind other people to do that too. You wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe the people that will sit and talk right in front of the person. I'm like, they have a dementing disease. They're not hard of hearing. They can hear you. <laughs> Maybe they do. Maybe they are hard of hearing. I don't know. But be cognizant of that fact. Don't be rude. Because all it does is make people upset. And it makes them frantic and gives them anxiety. The, the bottom line to this is that if you're not having a conversation with your person and letting them be a part of managing their disease and their life, their life most especially, then you're not going to have a good journey. You're just not. It's going to get away from you. It's going to be troublesome. You're going to have really difficult 
issues. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk about how all this makes a perfect storm, and we end up with catastrophic situations, and what do we do about that? How do we curb it? How do we, how do we communicate while we're in it? And what do you do? It's just a big, fat tornado. We'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay. So I've been talking about how we can really let those frustrations grow and get out of control. And eventually, sometimes they become catastrophic situations. And what would that be? Somebody crying, somebody yelling, slamming a door, walking out of a room, um, hitting you, screaming, um, just becoming generally upset with the situation. And I want to talk about how to keep that person active but not upsetting them. So I get questions sometimes about um, sort of reality, orientation, uh, retraining the brain, if keeping the person active will slow the course of the disease? Well, that's a loaded question. But I hope that maybe if people are doing better at going for walks and doing exercises and playing those brain games and stuff like that and keep, just keep them busy, I hope it will keep them sharper longer. And on the opposite side of that coin, if they are idle, if they are not doing anything, if they are just sitting around and not getting out, not getting fresh air, um, not getting up and walking around the house and things like that, not visiting with people, then I think without a doubt, it's going to hurry the disease along. 
And at the very least, it's going to cause depression. They're going to be filled with apathy. And, you know, I got a question yesterday. Do you think um, if I encourage my wife to do things, it will help her to function better? Well, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely think that. Our, our brain is a muscle. So when we use it, it gets stronger. It stays stronger longer. Um, if you don't use it, you will lose it. It's just not going to continue to work very well. Now, part of the problem, though, when somebody is in the, even the early stages, they struggle with learning new things. And it's because brain tissue has been destroyed. It's hard to learn new skills. It's kind of unrealistic to expect them to learn something new. Some people can. I'm not going to say everybody can't, but, but mostly they have to be repeated all the time and very often for somebody to learn something new and kind of learn their way through whatever it is you're trying to help them with. And in addition to that, I think, I personally think it's important to help your person accept whatever skills that they had that they can't do any longer. Help them accept them and then help them find another way to do whatever that skill was. Okay, like if somebody always fixed dinner every night. Do they have to be banished from the kitchen now because they left the stove on? No. What you can do is help them to function in the kitchen by giving them little jobs to do, setting the table, helping you throw in a couple of ingredients, um, filling glasses with water, whatever it is. And just change that a little bit and talk about what they can still do. Don't banish them from the kitchen because that's really what people do. Another thing I, I hear a lot um, is like when somebody uh, comes over and they're laughing and they're loud and, and they're full of excitement, that laughter is good but not 15 people laughing or five people laughing or something that is, is loud because that can really upset somebody. Maybe instead you ought to do like a one-on-one -on -one visit or something like that because when they get in big crowds, this is where we get those catastrophic problems of them banging on a table or pushing a a chair over or hitting somebody or spitting their food out or something like that, and everybody freaks out, right? So trying to make the evening interesting uh, with interesting conversation or interesting food or a candlelight dinner or going for a walk 
after dinner or just a one-on-one conversation um, for that person when there's 15 people in the house or whatever it is, a way to simplify it so they can function better and be involved within the limits of whatever their abilities are. Okay? So, like, even if you just have them peel the potatoes or, or you know, throw the carrots in the pan or whatever, they can still do certain things. And again, I say for the millionth time, try to see what they can still do and focus on that, not what they cannot do. Because when you focus on what they can't do, they start feeling judged. And when they start feeling judged, they start having a lot of problems. They don't lose all their intellectual abilities at the same time. They really don't. I mean, maybe the ability to talk um, and and have a stimulating, uh, spontaneous conversation at a dinner table will get fewer and fewer. But they can still do those little things to help you in the kitchen. They can still do those little things. And I think if you can find a daycare program or something like that, that always helps because they will definitely get that person some occupational therapy, how to function in the home and how to work with their loved one or within a job or something like that. And uh, they can help them to still do at least a part of what they used to do without them feeling like uh, they've been diminished to a huge degree. And I think that's really important. Now, when we get to that catastrophic piece that I was talking about, part of the problem with, with this is that we can have somebody get really upset, like excessively upset, and their mood changes go like a roller coaster. And anytime you put them in a strange situation, a confusing place, a new place, in the middle of groups of people in a restaurant, um, everybody laughing at one time, people talking too loud in a restaurant, noises and, and people talking over each other and being asked several questions at one time, or even just doing something that is too hard for them, like ordering food off of a menu, that person may start crying. They might become really stubborn and say they don't want anything to eat. They can become agitated, super angry. They might try to hit somebody near them. They may kind of use coping skills and coping words and phrases to try to explain why they're upset or blame you, like, this is all your fault. I, I, you're the only person thinking I have memory issues. If you weren't doing that all the time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so upset and not understanding what I'm doing. So they will often accuse you of doing something that has pushed them into doing this catastrophic thing like hitting someone or something like that. I see this all the time. And people just get overwhelmed. And when a situation over overwhelms somebody, 
their thinking capacity becomes pretty much zero. I mean, they're just not able to talk it through. They feel like everybody's bombarding them with information at the table and at one time. And they can't manage their thoughts. They can't figure it out. They have, I should say, we have some similar experiences Like even in traffic and stuff, somebody pulls over in front of you. Last night, I had somebody nearly run into the back of me on Wadsworth just in a a normal, you know, traffic flow. And the guy or gal, whoever it was, wasn't looking. And all of a sudden, I see they go into this little median area uh, to avoid hitting me. And that... You know, I, I, first of all, the hair went up on the back of my neck, but I mean, people flip each other off. They can get angry. We, I mean, all you have to do really is go on YouTube. Like, holy cow, there is video after video of somebody losing their togetherness. So it's not just a person with Alzheimer's. I mean, it happens to a lot of people every day, a lot of emotionally unstable people. A lot of stupid people. There's plenty of them out there for sure. But the bottom line is that I think we, when a person gets a diagnosis uh, of Alzheimer's, we suddenly micromanage and really nitpick at every action they take. Every single action that they take. And I don't really understand that. I mean, seriously, like like if somebody were trying to take a bath and you're trying to get them up to the bathroom, you're trying to get their clothes off of them, you're trying to unbutton their shirt, um, they are looking at it like, oh, my God, this is several things happening all at the same time. You're trying to undress me. You're trying to unbutton me. I'm just trying to find the bathroom. I want to turn on the the lights. It's not light enough in here. Why is everybody rushing me? What am I doing? Oh my gosh. So they might want to just get in the shower with their clothes on. Maybe they don't feel good about you taking their clothes off. Maybe there's a privacy issue there. How would you like it if somebody walked into a room and all of a sudden started taking your clothes off for you and trying to get you in a shower? But we consider it a catastrophic situation when that person turns around and slugs us, right? Or they push us out of the way or they start crying. We're not even thinking about the fact that we just totally blew their privacy and independence. I mean, we just completely just overwhelmed them for a second there. They can't remember how to do all the tasks. And they can't process what you're trying to do or help them with. And sometimes these turn into what we call catastrophic reactions. And they are really... When somebody has a catastrophic reaction, I'm not wholeheartedly sure that it is caused by the brain illness. 
I mean, we think the person looks like they're um, being over-emotional, they're being stubborn, obstinate, and it doesn't seem appropriate that they're just going to get upset over a little thing like trying to get clothes off. But boy, when they do push you back or they say no or they start screaming or they start yelling, it can be exhausting for you and that person. When they have a catastrophic episode, I'm going to tell you, and please listen to this, I think it's a reaction to your action. So we've got to try to figure out how to avoid pushing somebody to a point where they have that strong of an upset reaction and then refuses your care, which could be important, like getting in the shower or going to the bathroom or getting them cleaned up or something like that. And if you can keep those catastrophic reactions from happening in the first place, um, I think the, the key to that is to reassure the person, don't push them too quickly to do something. That way they won't panic. Tell them if you realize that maybe you're moving them too fast. Ask them if you need, if you should slow down. If you see them starting to get anxious or upset, just stop. Slow down. That's a clue something's wrong. And the only way that you're going to get rid of outbursts like that or to limit them is to realize that they're not just being stubborn or, you know, just displaying this nastiness that you don't understand. That person is trying to tell you as best they can that what you're doing is upsetting to them, but they can't think it through. They have cognitive issues and the ability for them to express what they need to say to you isn't really there. They're not trying to manipulate you. They're not trying to deny the reality that you're trying to get them to do something. The, the issue is that if you can try to understand that their forgetfulness and their confusion needs to be broken down into very simple cueing skills, slow down your language, slow down your information, and try to really be thoughtful and pause to care and talk them through what you're doing so that they don't get upset. And let them know that they're not inadequate. They're not, they're not a mess. They're not a hot mess. They just don't like to be hurried, that you wouldn't want to be hurried either. 
that maybe they don't understand what you're trying to do, so you're going to slow it down and talk to them about it. Make sure you don't do anything when they're tired. Don't do anything when they're not feeling well, like, you know, trying to get them dressed or trying to get them in the shower or something like that. And let them know that you understand that confusion, that you're really trying to understand their frustration and that you're not trying to treat them like a child. You know, don't just go and start unbuttoning their shirt. You might say, you know, like I'm trying to, I would like to unbutton your shirt. Is that okay? They might say, yeah, that's all right. But don't just walk over there and start taking their shirt off. That, that'll never work. Catastrophic situations happen when people are confused on what's going on around them. And hopefully you can choose the best time of day to work with that person uh, when they are most aware and feeling good and happy and making sure that you are using joy and tactile and verbal and um, visual cues and things like that that will help them to feel like they are still in control. If you don't, you're never going to be successful. So the bottom line is, don't think of catastrophic situations as being behaviors. Think of them being reactions. And what you can do to mitigate those and try as hard as you can to not get them upset in the first place. I promise you, you'll be a little better off. And not talking around them, talk to them. And work with them on ways to make them feel better and more secure and confident in who they still are will get you where you need to go. Those angry, hateful relationships that seem to be starting all over the world uh, when somebody has a diagnosis they don't want to admit to can create all these catastrophic situations and choke you to death. Okay. I know that was probably a hard show to listen to because many of you might think I don't understand, but truly I do. And I'll just do the best to keep opening your eyes and giving you new ways to think about the way you're caring for your person and new avenues for better communication. And I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.